Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 2. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Luke chapter 2. Let's go down the page a little bit, down to verse 8. Pick up after, right after the birth of Jesus, Luke, he now takes us to another scene in that same region, and it starts verse 8. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin Luke 2, verse 8. <clears throat> And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we pray under the banner of Jesus our Lord. We do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to you, our triune God. We ask you to help us, to heal us, to bring joy to our hearts, to put Focus on Jesus even now. Lord, help me preach. I want your people to be ministered to. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take your word and the way that I'll explain it, may it be helpful and honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2. It is the classic, it is the pervasive, it is the well-known Christmas story. Everybody knows the Christmas story. Even Charlie Brown knows Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> In our culture, this has a little, um, has a sort of patina on it. It has a, a, a softness. It, it makes it accessible. It makes it even acceptable to those that may not actually claim the truths of Christianity. Almost anyone can read Luke chapter 2 and be okay with it. <clears throat> but if you keep looking at it, you peel off that thin veneer, you peel off the veneer, and if you will look at it closely, Luke chapter 2 actually becomes astounding. Luke's detail is scary. He starts in chapter 2 and he starts just, just talking. And, and as you read it, in verse 1, you, you feel him presupposing. He presupposes a sovereign God who is controlling all the events of history Verses 1 through 7, he tells us that God has prompted this Roman emperor, Caesar, 
to take a worldwide census that would lead to this young unmarried couple, Joseph and Mary. They would leave Nazareth, go to Bethlehem, so that Jesus would be from Nazareth and be born in Bethlehem in the fullness of time, thus fulfilling all the Scripture. So at the very heart of the beginning of the Christmas story, you have God working throughout the events of history to bring about his will to redeem people in Christ. Look, God not only has a plan for your life, God has a good, God-honoring plan for you. God's plan is etched into the granite of his good grace. So Luke lays the foundation, verses 1 through 7, <clears throat> gives us the incarnation, God becoming man. And then in verse 8, what he does is, after giving us the setting in verses 1 through 7, Luke turns his attention to the very first gospel proclamation, verses 8 through 14. And today, what we're going to see, we're going to see the Christmas gospel as experienced by the shepherds. And in this little story, there's a picture of joy. Joy. Joy is something that is missing from far too many believers. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. A joyless faith in Jesus is a contradiction in terms. We, we've got to keep on. You may say, okay, well, I, I don't feel very joyful. We've got to keep on, keep pressing on the gospel until we can join those people that Peter wrote to. You go and read 1 Peter there he's reading, uh, he's writing to the diaspora, and he says to those people that are struggling, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That needs to be us. Six days, that's what we got Six days and we'll be there. Let's keep the focus on Jesus until then. Because Christmas, Christmas is about the power of gospel joy. And I want you to have, just as a brother in Christ to you, as your pastor, as a friend, I want you to actually have the power of gospel joy in your life. Woven throughout this passage is, is God moving. It's a sense of joy. We, we even sang about it. We sang about it this morning. I hope that when you walk out today, and it's, even if it's still raining, I hope that you can walk out today with a clear path to joy in Christ, with a, with a clear intention of joy in Christ. With that being said, let's see what this story has to tell us about the gospel of Jesus and the joy that is found there. Several things I want you to see. Here's the first one, number one. Let's look at the shepherds. Number one, you'll see that gospel, the gospel makes outsiders into insiders. Here's what the gospel does. <clears throat> it takes those that are outside and brings them so that they are inside. It takes those who were not belonging and makes it so that they do belong. Pick up in the story with me right there in verse 8. 
Luke changes the scene from where the baby Jesus is lying in a manger, and he brings us to the shepherds in verses 8 and 9. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Verse 8. In that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Stop there, shepherds. Anybody but shepherds. Why not the scribes? They're writing down. They copy God's law. They would really be familiar. Why don't you go and appear to the scribes? They would even know who angels are. Or Pharisees. Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed the Old Testament. Why don't you go appear to the Pharisees or maybe the Sadducees? Even though they don't believe in resurrection, they do revere Moses and his law. Go, go to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or, or the priests who who are sacrificing on behalf of the people, go to them. Or, or look, go to the fishermen. Or look, I mean, go to the tax collectors. Even the tax collectors would have been better than the shepherds. At least they didn't smell bad. Shepherds. Shepherds, outcast in society, outcast in high society, not trusted in court, too foul to really worship in the temple, and besides that, they smell like farm animals. And yet, verse 9, and yet, and yet the angel of the Lord appeared, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the gospel will be shared first shared with shepherds. Just the, right, right there at the very front end of the gospel, what you have here is the cure for classism, the cure for racism, the cure for sexism, and it is the gospel. The gospel that says anybody that is outside can be made on the inside through Jesus. It is a reminder that every single one of us is born an outsider. And the only way for any of us to become insiders is through the substitutionary life of Jesus and his death on the cross in our place. What did Paul say to the church at Ephesus? In Ephesians chapter 2, there you find him talking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, and there's a little bit of discussion on who was better off, and there is some racism and classism in Ephesians chapter 2. And, and Paul says, look, you, you've got it all wrong. Paul says to all of them in, in, in Ephesians 2, 12, 13, 14, really the whole chapter, but he says to them, remember now, you were, you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now, you see, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He'll go on to say, he is our peace. If you keep reading in that chapter... He has made us both one, that we now, Jews and Gentiles, those of us that are different, we are now one new man in Christ. And if 
the gospel is enough to save shepherds. It's enough to save you. Outsiders become insiders. That's what the gospel does. Look, it's what the church is supposed to do. Let me talk to you veteran, uh, veteran churchgoers, veteran church people. Only veteran church people come to church 8 o'clock in the morning when it's driving rain. So I know my audience here. You didn't accidentally wander in here this morning. How are you making sure? This is how the church, this is how the church grows. How are you making sure that you're helping people that might feel like they're on the outside come into the inside? What kind of effort are you taking? What kind of intentionality? What kind of reaching out? Who in your life this past week or the, in the weeks prior, or maybe you need to make plans in the weeks in front of you, that you know feels like they're a little bit on the outside, that you are reaching out and bringing them in? How are you pushing against the, the feel of, of people not being connected? How are you making sure that those that are not readily brought into the group are brought in? How are you making sure we're not developing cliques at this church? Because if, if, if you got just one little tight group of friends and nobody can get in, is that really? I mean, is that really bringing outsiders into insiders? The angels went to the most outside people and said, it's you. You're coming in. Who are you reaching out to? Who are you talking to? Who's in your group? Who, who have you had in your home? Whose home have you been in? What kind of investment? I'm just talking to veteran church girls, just church goers. What kind of investment are you making into someone? Okay, let me flip the coin now. Let me talk to... Um, Talk to those of you that even though you're here at 8 o'clock, you don't feel, you don't necessarily feel like you're connected. Who, who, who have you told? Like, hey, I can't really find a way to get, to help me get involved. Who, have you told one of the pastors? You told me, you told someone, Sunday school teacher? <clears throat> have you actually said, I, look, I, I want to get involved, but I don't feel like I can, get, can break in. Somebody help me. You converse with a person? Have you put yourself into mission? Find a way to serve. Find a way to, to plug yourself in. Are you being patient with, with those that don't quite know you yet? See, here's what Jesus came. He came and he brought those that are not in Christ to be inside. And one thing we got to keep doing is making sure we are bringing those that feel like outsiders, bringing them in. in. See what the gospel does? The gospel makes outsiders into insiders. Let me show you something else you'll find in the passage, I think. Verses 9, 10, and 11 and following. Number two, the gospel turns fear into joy. Fear into joy. The gospel takes fear, makes it joy. Let's go back to the narrative right there in verse 8 and 9. <clears throat> Look what the text says. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Filled with great fear. Uh, the Greek is filled with mega fear, giant fear, a lot of fear. King James said that they were sore afraid. You would be too. An angel appears out of nowhere. Right there in the dark night, he's blazing like 10,000 suns. And the very first thing that the angel says, don't be afraid. Look what he says. Don't be afraid. Good news, great joy, all people. I got good news that's going to be great joy for all the laos, that word people. All, it really is all the Jewish people. Now, the Bible speaks to reaching out to everyone, but the angel's saying this is a fulfillment. Good news. Let's just break that down a little bit. Good news. This is where we get the idea of gospel, euangelion. This is why we call gospel good news, because of what the angel said right there. <clears throat> this term, good news, is one of Luke's very favorite terms. He uses it more than any other New Testament. And when the angel says it, Luke wrote it down. The reason uh, that good news is of great joy is because that our God is a saving, redeeming, healing God. That, that's what He does. That, that's what God's nature is. I don't know if you've been reading uh, in our daily reading for, um, for Advent. We've had a, a reading plan for Advent. It's taken us in lots of different places. One of the places this past week, maybe in yesterday... Maybe it's today, uh, is the reading in Jonah. Reading Jonah, the story of Jonah, chapters 1 through 4, it's a quick story. It's not so much about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish, although that did happen. God told Jonah to go preach in Nineveh. Uh, Jonah said, I don't want any part of that. He ran away from God. God swallowed him up in his fish, spit him out on the bank, and God told him again, go preach in Nineveh. Jonah says, you know what, I think I'm going to go preach in Nineveh. He goes and does it. Walks the street in Nineveh, and he preaches. It's really, a, I mean, a little short sermon. In 40 days, uh, God is going to strike this place down. Well, people start repenting. Revival breaks out. The whole city changes. Jonah goes up on a hill to watch it happen. He's waiting on God's wrath to pour out. God's wrath does not pour out. God relented because the people repented. And Jonah starts complaining. And this is what Jonah says to God this is why I ran away. I knew it. I, you know what he says about God? I knew that you were a gracious God, that you're merciful, that you're slow to anger, that you are abounding in steadfast love, that you relent from disaster. It's the gospel. The gospel of grace is applied to everything that we actually dread. Sin in your life? Hurt? Sexual desires? Take the gospel, same-sex attraction? The gospel, the lusts, or, or judgmentalism, or, or, or coldness, or pride, or selfishness. 
See, the, the gospel comes up against every bit of that and says there is good news of great joy. Why aren't you then experiencing great joy? There are a couple of reasons you, you may not be joyful. It could be that you have unclaimed forgiveness. You're not walking in the forgiveness that God has given you. You have sinned before the Lord. That sin has been nailed to the cross and you're still carrying shame. That is not what God has called us to. Or maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life. You're a professing believer. You, you have been saved by the blood of Jesus and yet there's this ongoing besetting sin that you've not dealt with that you've not confessed to whoever you've sinned against, you've not confessed that to God, it's inhibiting your own growth in the Lord, and it's just you need to, even today, just confess that sin. Maybe it's unrecognized blessings. You, God has given you so much, He showered so much, he, over the years He has poured that on you, and you still have sort of a complaining heart or a presumptuous heart, or you don't, you don't know why you don't have more or not further along, or why is someone else getting more blessings than you? And maybe it's just unrecognized blessing. Or maybe, maybe you have some undealt with bitterness. Somebody hurt you so bad that although you said you've forgiven, you actually are harboring that. And it's keeping you from actually being joyful in the Lord. Look, the, the gospel not only takes outsiders and makes them insiders, the gospel turns fear into joy. Those that are redeemed by Christ, regardless of the circumstance, live with joy. Let me give you something else to look at. You'll find it in verses 10 and 11 about the gospel. This is the third point. Number three, the gospel is to be announced, heralded, preached. I, I don't remember who said it. <clears throat> could have been John Calvin, could have been John Piper, could have been John MacArthur, could have been John Knox, could have been John Owen. It was some John that said this. I, I, sometimes I read and I just can't remember where it came from. But this is basically a, this is basically a birth announcement. I mean, this is what the text says if you, when you read it. Here comes the announcement. So the angel shows up, great fear, don't be afraid, good news, great joy for all people. Here comes the announcement, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Just, just take that announcement and break it out in, in pieces. For unto you, this child is born for you. What are the stages of the life of Jesus? I mean, if you had to write down in words, this, this child is born. So you have the incarnation, then you have the fulfillment, the life of Jesus, the fulfillment of all the, of the Old Testament. Then you have the crucifixion, Jesus dying on the cross in the place of sinners. So incarnation, fulfillment, crucifixion, Jesus dies. Then you have the resurrection, which is a declaration that it worked. God raised him from the dead. After the resurrection, you have the ascension, Jesus bodily ascending into heaven. After the ascension, you have the glorification, the Son of God returning to his throne. After the glorification, you have what is known as the session. The session comes from a Latin word that means to be seated. 
Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for his people, the, the session. And we wait. Now we live in the session. We wait on the consummation. Jesus returning again for his people. And all of that wrapped up into this little phrase, it is for you, unto you is born this day. This day. At appointed time, in the fullness of time, when God said, now is the time, this day. And an appointed place in the city of David, the city of David that we've seen so much about all throughout the Old Testament, the city of David, Bethlehem. Here, brothers and sisters, here is the pattern for the gospel. And, and part of the motivation for preaching to, to, to plant your feet, to stand and herald a hope of the gospel that God is holy, man because of his sin and her sin, we are separated from God in such a way there's nothing we can do. There's no trail we can go down to get to God. And God and his love has given us Christ. Here's the gospel. That unto you a child is born. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, and I am the very worst. And the way he would save sinners is not by teaching or preaching or example. The way he would save is go to the cross and there as the substitute take the wrath of God. Here's the good news, great joy. The wrath has been turned aside. It's on Jesus. All the punishment for all the sin you've ever committed goes on Jesus. And he gives you his righteousness. And the way you appropriate that is to believe it. Turn from your sin and believe it. Have you received that? Okay, most of you have received that. Have you announced that? Everything we do by way of missions around here centers on the gospel. Our team just got back from Kentucky, the disaster relief. They went there not just to help and do mercy ministry, but to provide a platform so that we could share and herald the gospel. What we do with the food pantry is not just to meet the needs of people. We certainly want to do that. It is a mercy ministry that is tied to the actual heralding, announcing of the gospel. The clothes closet, we use that as an opportunity to be able to speak of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. One heart, Ecuador, we, we, we do the training. Why do we finance? Why do we do that so that people might preach and teach the gospel? Why do we believe in the International Mission Board? Why the heralds going to Mozambique or the fishers in, in, in Bulgaria or the, or the covengers in Indonesia or, or you in your neighborhood? We do that because unto you is born a child. This, this gospel, let's, let's dial in on it for the fourth point, verse 11. The gospel, let's be clear on what it is. It is centered on Christ. Let's not water down the gospel. Let's not, 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 not assign everything a gospel. It must be focused on Christ. Look at verse 11. Read that title in verse 11. You're only going to see it one place. Look what the angel says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, look, look at it, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke does something really special for us. 
He hears the angel say that. He writes it down. And right here in Luke chapter 2 is the only place in the entire Bible you have all those titles of Jesus that come together. A Savior, Christ, the Lord. Savior, Deliverer. Jesus came to save His people from His sins. He came to rescue us from the wrath of God. That His purpose, the purpose of Jesus is beyond teaching, it is beyond being a leader, it is beyond having disciples. The purpose of Jesus is more than just an example. It is Jesus dying on the cross as Savior, Rescuer, Savior Christ. You'd circle that word, Christ. The Old Testament, Old Testament equivalent would be Messiah, the Anointed One. The one that shows up the very first time in, in, in Genesis chapter 3 when God says there's one coming that will one day crush Satan. And as Christ, he operates in this threefold office as prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, he is the word, John says, the word became flesh. Hebrews says in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. He is the prophet. He is also the priest. Hebrews 3 tells us that he is the great high priest. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. It is the man, Christ Jesus, prophet and priest. He is also king. Luke chapter 1, you can back up there if you want to and find it some other time. Luke chapter 1, verse 33, Gabriel told Mary that he, Jesus, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and to his kingdom there will be no end. Prophet, priest, and king. Savior, Christ, the Lord. To say that Jesus is Lord, he is sovereign. To say that Jesus is Lord is to recognize that He is God. The most fundamental basic confession that a Christian can make is Jesus is Lord. Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to claim that? Are you willing to live with that? To, to, turn, from your to turn from your sin daily and turn to the cross to turn to the resurrection, the joy that Jesus brings, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, the gospel, <clears throat> the gospel makes outsiders into insiders. The gospel turns fears into joy. The gospel is an announcement. The gospel, it must be centered on Christ. Let me give you one, one last thing before I go. Number five. The gospel results in glory to God. Go back with me to the scene. Let's read it and savor it. <clears throat> the angel says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is going to be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. Now, on any given night in the town of Bethlehem or any other town, 
maybe even in this sanctuary. On any, any given night, you would be able to walk into that neighborhood and city and probably be able to find a baby wrapped up in swaddling cloth. It's what you did with a baby. It's the normal activity. It's not, it's not that much of a sign, but go further. You'll find it, this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and that baby put in a feeding. What's that baby doing in that manger? The baby is going to be put low. And when that angel said that, when he started talking about the humility of Christ, when he spoke of the emptying and Jesus becoming man, becoming a baby, becoming even the lowest, when that angel said that, it's as if the rest of the angels could not stand it any longer. In verse 13, Luke says it like this, and suddenly, out of nowhere... There was with that one angel, multitudes. There they are, showing up. This is the fifth time in the Bible, multitudes. You find them in Revelation when they're worshiping. You find them when Daniel talks. You find them when Job is explaining creation, that there's a multitude. And now when this angel explains the incarnation, the multitude, all of the angel armies show up and they start to sing. And all they can sing is Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace is coming. With whom God is favored is grace. Peace is coming to men. Why were those angels singing? Why did they break into where we could see them? They were singing because the spiritual darkness since the fall of Adam and Eve has been rolled away. They were singing because the way to pardon and peace with God has been thrown open to God's creation. They were singing because the head of Satan would soon be crushed. They were singing because captives were getting ready to be set free. They were singing because those who are now dead in sin were about to be made alive. They were singing because liberty is going to be preached to the prisoners. They were singing because the eyes of the blind would be made to see. They were singing because of this truth that God is just. He can stay just and still be the justifier. He can justify the ungodly. They were singing because salvation would no longer be seen through a glass dimly. Dimly, it would now be seen face to face. They were singing because the very first stone of God's kingdom, that is the chief cornerstone, was about to be put into place. His name is Jesus. He's come to save his people, and he will save you too. And if that is not good news, there never has been good news on earth. Amen. For that, we can join the angels we can say, glory to God in the highest. If you join me now, we pray together. I want you to have joy in your life. When I pray and before we sing, you may just want to ask God, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Take away that which is blocking it. Bring me the joy that comes with knowing Christ. This morning we're going to sing, and when we do, 
I'll just invite any of you that would like to come and pray. You can come and kneel here and pray. A pastor will be available to pray with you or, or if you don't know what to pray, can pray for you. Maybe you want to know more about what it means to give your life to Christ. Part of our tradition is hearing the sermon, providing an opportunity to respond, and closing it out with a time of worship. God has spoken to your heart. This morning, we'll invite you to come forward. Father, thank you for the grace you give us in Christ. I pray that you would bring joy, deep and abiding joy, real joy, into the hearts of your people. Help us, Lord. So many things take it away from us. We come to you to be filled up with joy. So I pray you would do that for your people now. In Christ's name we pray.